As we continue a series we started last week, it's called Church Life. And today, if you want to kind of get the most out of the study, you know, I think probably your best bet is to write some words down, write some scripture references that are going to go with each point. And then when you go home today, uh, open up your Bible and ask the Lord to speak to you as you look up these things on your own. You know, the seven words, and I'll repeat them throughout the study, uh, regarding the church is relationship, ownership, membership, fellowship, partnership, worship, and leadership. And there'll be one bonus word at the end if you're interested. But, um, you know, I, I want to real quick review on what we talked about last week. How many of you were here last week? As out of curiosity, you might remember that we touched on that Greek word translated church, ecclesia. And we learned that it originally referred to a gathering of citizens uh, called out of their homes into some public place, basically an assembly just like this. And so it was uh, just a, a secular word, you know, the assembly, uh, the ecclesia. But eventually over time we embrace it as believers and it became uh, a sacred word. We call it now the church. And when looking at our study last week, we saw, number one, that we belong. Number two, we belong together. Number three, we belong to Jesus. And then number four, we belong in the world. Even though I know that sounds kind of funny, we belong in the world now, for now. And so just in case you're here and you think like you're out of place, maybe you feel like, you know, you got a, a, a rap sheet, you got a prison record or whatever, you know, you've done wrong, you've fallen short, you know, whatever, there's a lot of different reasons that people sometimes go to church and they feel like they don't belong. You know, I, I pray that, that, you know, even if you do feel that way, I guess we can't change the way we feel, that you would know the fact is you do. You know, you do. Uh, we love you. I mean, our love falls short. We're just a human love here. But then when God works through us, it becomes a divine love. Um, have you guys ever gone over someone's house and they really make you feel welcome? You know, like they say, hey, come on in, mi casa, su casa. You know, and then they'll say, uh, you know, hey, you know, can I get you some food? And sometimes even to the extent where they say, help yourself, you know, to the fridge. Don't you love going to houses like that, man? And, you know, it's like, it's like a welcome. I pray that you would sense that welcome because you know what? I'll bet you almost anything, man. I mean, I just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that's how Jesus was. You know, you would never like see the Lord in, in, in you know, ministry and him kind of like saying, well, I don't got time or kind of, you know, giving you the cold shoulder or, or making you feel in any way that you're out of place or unwelcome. I just know the Lord he would welcome people. And so, you know, when we talk about the church, I, I want you to know because we're called out and to, to assemble that, that, that you belong and that, that, that you belong together. You know, and that's what we read here in Hebrews uh, chapter 10. And we went over this last week and I just want to touch on it real quick. Look what it says in verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the matter of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, and so when you wake up or whatever, it could be a Saturday night, maybe a Sunday morning you wake up and you're having a hard time, you know, getting blanket victory, you know, get out of bed and you're like, man, I don't feel like going today. Maybe I'll watch the live stream or, 
whatever, man. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen when the football uh, games actually start. You know, I don't know if you guys, hopefully you're all Raider fans. You don't go there, but I'm just saying. And if for some reason, you know, you get tempted, I'm going to go to a football game and not to church. I mean, think twice. Think twice about that. What are you teaching your children? What are you teaching your friends? I mean, to me, there has to be like a deep conviction. Like, there ain't nothing like Sunday mornings. I want to be there. And so he says, before you don't go to church service, consider one another. That's what he says in verse 24. Let us consider one another. You know, not just me, not just do I feel like it, not just, hey, I've got different plans. But we see, when you're not there, other people uh, are going to feel it. They're actually going to suffer. They might not love as much. They might not work as much because you are part of the body. You need to be there. We need to be there for each other. And, and, and as we go, it could be your hug. It could be your smile. It could be your simple you know, word. I mean, that can actually save someone from hell. But because you didn't show up that day because you, whatever, you made some type of lame excuse then, you know, that, that takes its toll. Now, let me say this. I understand sometimes you can't make it. I mean, you, you want to go on vacation? Believe you me, God wants to bless you with that. We need to get away sometimes, or it could be an anniversary thing, or like right now I know Carlos and his family, they're, they're at the City of Hope. And so don't think that, you know, there's never those times where, you know, God says, hey, you need to be somewhere else. But I'm talking about those times where the reason is just not reasonable. So as a church, we belong, and and we belong together. As a church, the third thing we learned last week is we belong to Jesus. And we're going to elaborate that more as we go through our study today. And then as the church, the fourth thing we saw last week is that uh, we belong in the world for now. And if you want to go back to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. I know it kind of sounds kind of funny. You're like, man, we're the church and, you know, we're the called out and you're telling me that we belong in the world? Yeah, we do belong in the world for now. We've got to be careful because what can happen sometimes is some Christians, they get into their little cubby hole, you know, they get into their plastic bubble they never associate with non-believers. It could get to the point where you can become a monk. You can go away and hide in some cave and think that you're pleasing God with something like that. And the Lord says, no, I want to use your life to help those guys that are out there struggling with crystal meth. I want to use your life you know, to, to, to break the chains for that guy who's struggling with porn or that marriage that's on the rocks or you know, that person over there. That, that no one else can reach. They would never listen to a pastor, but they'll listen to you because you can relate to whatever it is that they're going through. And that, that's what we got to know as a church. Look what it says here in Matthew 5 in verse 13. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men, he says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. So the salt of the earth, the light of the world. You know, the church in the the New Testament, man, they turned the world upside down. They made a difference. And so the Lord says, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. 
A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and, and glorify your Father in heaven. And so we saw last week in looking at this right here that, you know, you don't want to be, you got to know who you are. You're the salt of the earth, so maintain your saltiness, you know? And when I think of that, people being salty, I think of today how it's hot. No, I'm just joking. When I think of us (laughs) being salty, you know what I think of? I think of people like Jesus. That's what I think of. Not some Pharisee, not a religious, legalistic person. I'm talking about somebody who's like Jesus, somebody who's holy, but they're gracious, and they're loving, and they're just, man, they're just, they're just, the, the joy. You know, someone who's like Jesus, that's a salty person, And what they do, when the church is the church, we preserve the world. Just like the salt did in those days, it preserved the meat from going bad. When we shine, then we actually keep the world from corruption. So here's the thing, man. When you look out at the world today and you see it's all messed up, you know, we need to assume some of the responsibility to ourselves. Because we're supposed to be the preservative. We're supposed to keep it from rotting and decaying. So, like I said last week, you know, the world at its worst needs the church at its best. Imagine if everyone here said, you know what, I'm going to be like the Lord. I'm going to maintain my saltiness. I'm going to be like Jesus to a lost and dying world. It will impact the world, just like it did in the Bible. You see, we're the salt and and then we're the light. And so Jesus said, you don't take the light and you put it under a basket. The light that shines in you is God himself. God lives in you. And so you let that light shine. My pastor used to tell me, just let Jesus express himself through you. That's all you got to do. And you let that light shine. You don't just stay over there in your little corner. You know, you get out there in the front lines and the highways and byways. And you're in the world and whatever Um, wherever God would lead you because we all have a different mission field and that's what the church is supposed to be. We're the called out assembly. We belong, we belong together. We belong to Jesus and we belong in the world for now. So that's what we're supposed to be doing. So we learned those four things last week. Today I wanna go over seven new things um, regarding the church And you know, for those of you who normally attend Calvary Chapel, you know, typically we study through a book and we will do that after this series, but periodically we get to do a series like this. And uh, you know, that's the way systematic theology works. Systematic theology is uh, the doctrines of the Bible and they take the various passages from Genesis to Revelation and they give us what the Bible teaches regarding specific truths. What we're studying now is called ecclesiology. It's the doctrine of the church. And that's a very important theology that we need to know. And that's why we look at different um, verses. And so, you know, seven words today. The first word is the word relationship, because that's where it all begins. And I'd like you to turn to John chapter 3, if you would. In John chapter 3, we read in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And so this guy, Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee, separated one. Man, he's a ruler of the Jews. And so this man, he came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, 
For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, literally in the Greek, it's just amen, amen. Verily, verily, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, I remember when I got saved and uh, I had gone to church pretty much all my life. You know, I was baptized as an infant. You know, I went through uh, even parochial school. You know, I, I had a little Bible and I still have it. It's a really cool little Bible and has all the tabs on it. And I read the whole Bible. You know, and I did all this stuff. I jumped through the hoops. I, I made my, my sacraments. But I never really knew the Lord. And so I went and I did my thing and uh, I'm surprised I didn't die. I mean, there were times where I'd be so drunk and I would get behind the wheel. I mean, I just thank God I didn't kill anybody. You know, but I don't remember how I got home. The next day I would wake up in the morning and I would just think, be wondering what happened. I, I did just like crazy things, you know, and I'm sure a lot of you here can relate. Some of you guys are even probably, you know, you can relate in even in worse ways, you know. But, but, you know, when I did get saved, there came a day in my life where I said, you know what, I got to stop, you know, religion. I, I, I got to stop playing church. It's just not, it's not really happening. I need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And that day when I went forward, August 20th, 1989, you know, he came into my life. And then I remember, man, boom, I got life and boom, I got power and boom, all the chains were broken and boom, I could understand the Bible and boom, everything changed. I went from death to life. And I remember going and talking to the, the, my aunt because my aunt was the one raising me at the time and she was the one that kind of really encouraged the religion. And I told her, I said, Dear Mary, why didn't you ever tell me that I needed to be born again? Like the Bible says. You know, and, and maybe you're here today and, you know, you think, well, I'm part of the church because I go to church and I go every Sunday. You know, it doesn't make you a Christian. We need a relationship with God. Here's Nicodemus. He's the ruler of the Jews. In verse uh, 10 of this chapter, Jesus even called him the teacher of Israel. And so what ends up happening is he wants to chit-chat with the Lord. He wants to share, you know, some religious stuff. Hey, you know, Rabbi, you know, it's pretty cool what you're doing. And you know what Jesus does? He just goes for the jugular. And he says, you need to be saved. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You think you see God working? You, see, you, you think you see what's going on? You see only the outside. You see only the superficial. You need to enter in to a relationship with God. It's not a religion. It's not something where I go to once a week. It's not something that my parents gave me. There's no grandparents here. No grandchildren. What we need is that personal relationship, right? What makes the church? Not the building with the steeple. It's the body with the people, right? And what we need is a relationship. It's imperative to realize, you guys, that going to church service doesn't mean you're a Christian. It doesn't mean that we don't welcome someone to visit or someone to come and seek the Lord. Of course, you're welcome. But at the end of the day, we don't want you just to go to church. We want you to go to heaven, 
Let me ask you a question, okay? And I want you to search your heart, truly search your heart. Do you really know the Lord? If you were to die today, do you have 100% assurance that you go to heaven? See, if you don't, if there's a sliver of a doubt, then today you need to make a, a decision to go forward and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, to me, it's ironic that the teacher of Israel, this religious man named Nicodemus, needed to be saved. He needed to be born again. You know, not religion, but relationship. There's a lot of people who go to church. They might even serve in the church, and they don't really know the Lord. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 22 and 23? Many will say to me, in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? As they're standing before Christ, they're giving the list of all the way that they did their religious works, and then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, I never knew you. Greek word, gnosko, it's to know by experience. You know, a Spanish word, gnosko, right? To know I never knew you. What it's talking about here is a relationship. You know, there's a big difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone, right? And some people, they go to church service and they know about God, but they don't know God. They don't walk with him. They don't talk with him. They don't have this deep and personal and intimate relationship with him. And that's what saves us. When you make that decision, I'm all in. God, I give you my heart. Not just my head, not just my brain, intellectually, I give you my heart, I give you absolutely everything that I am, I let go of this sin, and I want to give my life to you. You know, I mean, I know this is a silly illustration, I don't know why I always talk about Justin Bieber, but it's kind of like, you know, like, you know, you might know about Justin Bieber, hey, I heard he goes to church, I don't really know what's going on with him, you know, but maybe I think of him a lot, because I want you guys to be a believer eventually, right, but... <laughs> You know, you may know about him, but it's a lot different knowing him, okay? Now, that's a, a celebrity. I mean, what we're talking about is God. We're talking about a relationship with him. You know, John 1.12, it says, if you're the church, then you have to be born into it. You've got to be a child. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And so... Have you ever really, truly seen that time in your life where you turned the corner and there was a transformation? You know, some people, they maybe said a prayer a while back, but their life is still the same. You know, C.H. Spurgeon said, a faith that doesn't change my behavior will never change my destiny. And you come to church service and you're still drinking and you're still smoking, and you're still staying out all night, and you're still partying with the boys. You know, I don't say that to condemn you. I say that to awaken you, my friend, because otherwise you might wake up one day in the presence of Jesus Christ, and he says to you, I never knew you. And you say, Lord, but I went to church. I served in the ministry. I gave to the offering." And he says, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. So when it comes to the church, there's a relationship with God and there's a relationship with God's people. 
You know, and we're going to talk a lot about that um, as we go through this series, uh, how we relate to one another. You know, isn't it cool to know that since we have the same father, we're family? That's really cool, huh? I mean, when we think about that, not only that, you guys, we got the same blood. Isn't that cool? I mean, when you got the same blood, because we all have Jesus' blood covering us, I mean, talk about family. We are truly related. And so as we go through the study, uh, we're going to talk about the one another's of the Bible, and I think it's going to be a tremendous blessing. So number one, relationship with God and with others. That's the first word, relationship. The second word is ownership. Ownership. And in Matthew chapter 16, I know you're familiar with this verse, but Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, and also I I say to you uh, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And we'll talk more about this, but the point that I want to emphasize at this uh, juncture is that it's his church. He said, I will build my church. You know, it's, it's Jesus' church. Uh, it's not the pastors. It's not the elders. It's not the members. Uh, the church belongs to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. You know, I don't know if you guys hear this, and I kind of wish we would stop saying stuff like this, but have you guys ever heard someone say, yeah, you know, I went to Greg Laurie's church the other day, and, you know, whatever, this and that, and the other. And, and that's not biblical. It's not what he would want to hear. It's not Greg Laurie's church. Whose church is it? It's Jesus' church, right? And we have to know that relationship, that's where it starts, and we have to know the ownership because it changes everything when you know that, you know, Manny doesn't own the church, the guys don't own the church, the people don't own the church, Jesus owns the church, Jesus owns Calvary Chapel Almonte, it's his. How did he get it? Number one, it was given to him by his father. According to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, God the Father gave it to him. That's pretty amazing. You know, hey, here, I'm going to give you the church. But number two, he bought it. He bought the church with his own blood, the Bible says in Acts 20, verse 28. And so he has invested in the church. And therefore, in looking at these things, uh, because he owns it, you know, um, it changes everything. You guys know how it is. Have you ever seen the banner that says under new ownership? You guys ever seen one of those banners? And supposedly it's like, oh, okay, they own it now. It's probably going to be new and improved, you know? You know, for us, it's just important for us to know that since the Lord owns it, a couple of things. Number one, he will build it. He owns it. He's responsible to build it. And when I think of him building the church, I think, uh, number one, of him building us up individually. How many of you guys want to get built? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you want to be strong. You want to be strong, a mighty man of valor. This is all you got to do. Get out of the way and let Jesus build you. He will not fail in building you up and making you strong in your prayer life, in the word, whatever the mission is that he's got for you, because he owns it. So he will build you up individually. He will build us up congregationally. He will build us as a church. And there's just something about that, that I belong to the Lord, and I think that if we don't kick against the goads, 
that God will just do an amazing work in our life. We just got to let him build us up, speak his word, his truth, his encouragement. He will add to the church. The Bible says in Acts 2.47, and he added to the church, God added to the church daily those who are being saved. See, it changes everything when you know uh, this is a relationship, not a religion, that, that it's his ownership, it's not ours. And the third thing is that it's a place of worship. If you go to, act, I mean, Ephesians 5, real quick. And if you turn your pages, they act like a fan. You do it like, like that, man. I'm Ephesians 5 and, and verse 19, speaking to one another, how? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know, you guys ever notice this, that when you come in, first what? Half an hour, you know, sometimes longer is spent in, in worship. Have you guys ever noticed that? You think that's a, just a buffer? You think, oh, it just kind of gives people a little bit of time to, you know, they get here late and then the real service begins when, you know, that short guy starts talking. Is Absolutely not. That time right there of singing to God is powerful. It's powerful. You know, in the book of Acts, chapter 16, in verse 25, they were, uh, you know, in prison, in the dungeon. Paul and Silas had been beaten with stocks. And as they're there at midnight, man, they start singing, they start praising. And you guys remember what happens? There was an earthquake. All the doors were opened. It was an opportunity for all the prisoners to leave, but they didn't leave. You want to know why? Because the Bible says that they were listening to them worship. It was a witness. The worship was a witness. The worship is a witness. And then what ends up happening is God used that to save the Philippian jailer and then to save the family. All I'm saying is that we're going to talk more about this as we continue through this series that that time of worship, it really is a very important time for us that we sing unto the Lord. Some of you guys here, you got terrible voices. <laughs> You know, it's kind of funny how sometimes the ones that have the worst voice sing the loudest, right? And I'm like, Lord, how does that work? <laughs> so I always go back there to the sound guy and say, can you turn Angel up a little bit? No, I'm just joking. I don't do that. But notice what it says right here. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody where? In your heart. That person over there who you think sounds the worst, might actually sound the best. And the one who you think sounds the best might actually sound the worst because God listens to the voice of the heart. You know, there's power in worship music. I and mean, some of you here, you got demons that are trying to you know, run your home. There's a darkness, there's a presence turn on the worship music and you start praising the Lord. It's kind of like scratching a chalkboard, you know? It's like, ah, they don't like it. They hate it. When you read the Bible, oftentimes you would have those pictures where the worship team was leading the army. And they didn't do it every time, but they did it to make a point that there is power in this. You see, this is who we are as a church. Don't look at worship as kind of like you, when you go to the movies, right? You're like, okay, we got 20 minutes of previews, so it's not a big deal. 
No, you got to get there on time the best that you can because God is looking for those to worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, relationship, ownership, worship. And then the, the next word is fellowship. Fellowship. And as we go through our series, we're going to elaborate on all these things, but this is so important. You know, if Philippians 1 verse 5, it says in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And we see that in chapter 2 and verse 1 and chapter 3, verse 10, and it even talks about the fellowship of his sufferings. Okay, so how many of you here, when you go to the movies, once the credits start rolling, you split? Unless you knew, hey, there's a kind of a secret, you know, whatever thing. <laughs> well, sometimes it's like that in church service as well. So you get here a little late because uh, worship, uh, and then you, you know, you're here, you know, you take a little nap, and then afterwards, <laughs> as soon as they start playing that last song, you're like, I'm going to beat the parking, you know, jam or whatever, and you're out the door. Okay, man, I want to encourage you, don't do that. As a matter of fact, maybe even make it a point that every single time you come to church service, meet somebody new. How about that? And then you start fellowshipping. Next thing you know, you start you know, going to dinner with someone. I'm telling you, if you're here and you're a couple and you're like, but we never go to dinner with anybody, you can take us out anytime, man. <laughs> just let us know. There's a restaurant right here that we like and we'll just let you know. That's fine, man. No, I'm serious. I mean, you know, we should, you know, have those times where we as Christians get together with other Christians and we talk about the Lord. And we talk about, you know, the, the struggles that we have or the prayer requests or the things that are heavy on our hearts. We're going to see as we go through that you're, you're never going to be strong. You're never going to be strong unless you're in the word, unless you're in prayer, unless you're in fellowship. You don't just come and split. You come and you connect. And as you get to know other couples, and you get to know other people, singles, you name it, God does a great work. Fellowship is an interesting word. We're going to get into the word koinonia. It, it really talks about giving, being a part of a community. You know, that's who we are. Don't be a lone ranger Christian who isolates himself. It's the worst thing that you can do. If you really want to see God move in a mighty way, and I'm telling you, he can. You are going to need all these things. You're, you're going to need fellowship. As a matter of fact, it may be one of the, the best things because even after you hear a study, there's something about talking about it that makes it go a little deeper. You know, after you hear a study, and I would always tell my, my kids when they were with the high schoolers, I'm all, yeah, usually after a high school study, you know, the kids get back there and they start talking about video games, right? I'm all, you know, you be the one to say, hey, how'd you like the study? Or what'd you think about that point? You know, and you get things going like that. Sometimes it's the best part. You know, I, I know people that would come to this church and leave, come, leave, come, leave. They did it for years until finally a couple approached them and then just started talking. It changed their life in such a powerful way. Sometimes that's the best thing. Now, I remember recently I heard a story about uh, this couple of people, a few people, they went to a Dodger game. And as they're there at the Dodger game, you know, they're enjoying it and all that kind of stuff. But you know how it is? I don't know if you guys, you guys like the Dodgers, right? 
No one here likes the angels, right? Okay, all right, good. Oh, come on, Lord. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, man. The angels are my second best team, but <laughs> I only like them because I feel sorry for my son when they lose. But anyways, here's the thing. You know, you go to a game, and they're down by four. This happened recently. And so it's whatever, the eighth, ninth inning, and then you leave. This happened recently to this young man. He had, I guess, want to go do something that really wasn't as good. And uh, he left. And what happened? What do the Dodgers usually do? They come back, huh? <laughs> and you miss out on the best part where they did this amazing comeback. And there's this joy, you know? And sometimes I think that's our problem is we come and then, and then we leave. You guys, I want to encourage you, fellowship. These are words that we'll talk about. The, the fifth word is membership. Membership in Romans 12, 4 and 5, I, I encourage you, you know, to know that there is a, um, a membership. We're not like some churches. Some churches you go and they make you take classes and, you know, they kind of, whatever, it's attendance and it's not obligatory uh, tithe and things like that. You know, we don't do that type of membership, but we do believe in biblical membership. And in Romans chapter 12, and it says in verse 4, for us, we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I want you guys to know this, that, that you really are connected that there is this membership i i, I want to just caution you against coming here and this week and the next week you go to that church and the next week you go to that church and then you kind of do that you know and you're playing uh that type of uh, what do they call it church hopping you know get plugged in i mean of course we would love that it would be here you know because uh, i don't know we have that type of bias but but somewhere where you know you can just say i'm here I'm not going to be one of those, uh, you know, necessarily having to sign a contract, but this is my home. It's, it's a little messed up, and they need an air conditioner and, <laughs> and whatever, you know, that ministry, a homeless ministry. I don't like their homeless ministry, so I'm going to split. No, you start a homeless ministry. You know, you be part of that answer. We need each other. We're connected. Last night, I was turning my finger like this and, you know, the spaghetti. And next thing you know, I'm putting it in my mouth and I'm like, man, this is good stuff, you know. And then next thing you know, I get this hand, throw in the tons of Parmesan cheese, right, and grub. I mean, we are working together. Next thing you know, my mouth and my taste buds and my tummy, it all works together. You see, there is this membership. And I don't know how it's going to work for you. Not everyone here has the time to necessarily sign up for a ministry in Calvary Chapel, Almani. Uh, maybe more of you do. You're out there doing a different thing. But somewhere, you're part of this body, and God is going to use you to help others. I, I can think of so many you know, people. Last night, I was on the phone with Carlos for an hour and a half. I cannot tell you how much God has used him in my life. And I can tell you about so many people here, and I don't know where I would be without them. We, we need each other, you guys. We really do. And we'll come back to this when we close. Number six is the word leadership. And so we'll talk about church government and we'll talk about the fact that we do need servant leaders, not shoving leaders, but loving leaders, right? And there are pastors and deacons and overseers and uh, all those kind of things. 
And our job is to follow Jesus and love you and lead you and feed you. As a matter of fact, the book of Acts, it talks about how the pastor is supposed to devote himself continually to the ministry of prayer and the word. And so we'll talk about things like that. The last word is the word discipleship. Discipleship. And when you do all these things, then what ends up happening is not only do you become a disciple positionally, but I think you become a disciple practically. And so at one time you were out there running rampant, man, with the world. And God got a hold of you. God brought you in. And God transformed you into a disciple who was a pupil, who was a learner, who follows Jesus and is a committed Christian who brings forth fruit. You see, that's where in one sense it all ends. You know what I would love because we are called to make disciples. That's part of the Great Commission. Just think about it, man. If all you guys, you just rose to that. You know, like I'm going to take up my cross, because that's what disciples do. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, when you see that happen in a church, you guys, I'm telling you, man, God will use us to save the lost. God will use us, three things, glory of God, we want to exalt God, we want to edify the body, we want to evangelize the world, and God will do what he does with a healthy church. You know, that church in the book of Acts, chapter 11, verse 26, located in Antioch, you know, it talks about the work that was done there with Barnabas and, and Paul, and it says, and when he had found him, uh, Paul, he brought him to Antioch, And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Healthy church. That's my prayer. So that when people would look at us, yeah, disciples, yeah, they're they're Christians, not just because they got the t-shirt, not just because they say they're Christians, But because when I watch their life and I look at their life, they really are like the Lord. And so um, we got to find our place. You know, we got to find our place in the church. Maybe some of you here, you know, you repair air conditioners. I don't know, you know. (laughs) We all have a place. But I'm telling you this, man, that that no, no place... I mean, it, it, you're going to find it's just the life that, that God leads you in. You know, I want to close actually with one, one last photo. Last, uh, y- yesterday I was just studying and going through this whole thing. And then, uh, and then Carlos sent me a, a, a picture. And as I saw the picture, I just, uh, I just started crying, you know, because... It's, it's really what, the way it works. You know, because you might be here and you think, well, um, God wants to use my life and I'm, you know, going to be a pastor or a missionary or a teacher in Sunday school or wherever it is, you know, an usher, a husher. I don't know where God's going to have you. But, but it's more than that. It, it really is beyond that. And I think we see that epitomized in our dear Nadine who at 21 years old, and she's been battling leukemia for five years, has impacted so many people. 
You know, and when Carlos sent me this, because I guess they had, you know, hadn't seen it, and then he kind of came across it recently, it was like, man, that's exactly what we're talking about. Um, the quote right here, this is, this is Nadine, and this is Natalie, and, and, you know, even that, I mean, here's the sister that gave her, you know, the, the bone marrow. I mean, here they are embracing in, in the beach, and, and she said, Nadine says, I believe this is my purpose. I've been praying to God to reveal to me my purpose and use me, and that's what he's about to do. The first time was to save my family, but this time it's to save others, and I'm more than okay to do that. You know, just that purpose. You know, and I've seen it, you know, in our own life. Uh, Mark had mentioned earlier about how this trial that this family is going through, it, uh, it's, it's touched all of our lives. And so just don't think that, you know, your place has got to be a title or that type of task. It's just you having the heart that says, I'm willing to do whatever it is that God's called me to. And when you have that heart, he really does use your life.